Welcome to the Seashore Church Message of the Week. This message is designed to bring more of heaven into your world today. For more resources like this, or to learn more about our church, visit seashorechurch.com. He's got the whole world in his hands. He's got the whole wide world in his hands. He's got the whole world in his hands. He's got the whole world in his hands. He's got the little bitty babies in his hand. He's got the little bitty babies in his hand. He's got the little bitty babies in his hands. He's got the whole world in his hands. Come on, you triple R people. You know that. He's got the mommies and the daddies in his hand. He's got the mommies and the daddies in his hands. He's got the mommies and the daddies in his hands. He's got the whole world in his hands. You know, some of those songs you learned as a kid, or maybe learned today, <laughs> there's a lot of truth in those. You want good theology? He's got the whole world in his hands. It's good to keep that in mind, isn't it? I can tell you there's never been a more important time in my lifetime, in my 50 years, yes, 50 years, I know it's hard to believe, on this earth for his sons and his daughters to hear, to discern, and to obey the voice of God. There is so much noise, so much chatter, so much distortion of his voice in the world. There's never been a more important time for his sons and daughters to hear the voice of their father, to know the voice of the good shepherd, not just all the other people that try to be shepherds, but to hear the voice of the good shepherd. And to obey Him at all costs. But the challenge sometimes with hearing God's voice. We talked about the, the, the Father. How good He is. But it's often how we view our Heavenly Father that affects how we hear. Do you know what the most powerful thought in your mind is? Because your thoughts are creating your fear. Do you realize that? The Bible says, as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. It's a King James version of it. As a man thinks in his heart, so is he. So your thoughts are actually creating the direction of your life. So wherever you want to go, just keep thinking about that thing. It's like when you're driving down the street and you're like, don't hit that tree, don't hit that tree, don't hit that tree. Well, you're focusing on the tree. You're going to hit what you're focusing on, whether you're telling yourself not to hit it or not. So your life is taking you in the direction of your thought life, your thoughts. But do you know the most powerful thought in your mind is? It's not what you think about yourself. I got to have a good self-image. I got to feel good about me. It's not about what you think about yourself. The most powerful thought in your head is not even what God thinks of you. Do you know what the most powerful thought in your head is? It's determining the course of your life. It's determining on whether you can hear God's voice clearly and discern and obey Him. The most powerful thought is what I think God thinks of me. There's a difference. 
Because if I see him as the father who just wants to scold me, who wants to punish me, who has other people in mind besides me, then it's going to affect the way I hear and the way I filter his voice in my own heart, and it's going to affect the way I interpret the world. Yep, that's right. The left is taking over America. It's God's punishment for all this sin. Well, that's because I view God as Father probably not the way that God actually is. The most predominant thought in my head, the most powerful thought in my head, is what I think God thinks of me. So it's good for me to realize and come to a revelation of what God actually thinks of me. This morning I want to talk to you about a guy with a funny name. His name is Mephibosheth. Anybody want to take a shot at that? Mephibosheth. If you speak Hebrew here and I'm mispronouncing it, just shake your head at me like that and go, nice try. But it's Mephibosheth. We're going to look in Samuel, 2 Samuel chapter 4. I'll get there in a minute. But let me give you a bit of an intro about this guy, Mephibosheth. Saul was the first king of Israel. He was anointed king. God said, you don't need a king. I'm going to be your king. But the people were like, everybody else got a king. So we need a king too. So he said, fine, I'll give you a king. And he gave him a king. His name was Saul. Saul did some really great things. He was actually a pretty fierce warrior and kind of strong leader. But the problem with Saul is he had these constant internal insecurities. And so Saul heard God, but he disobeyed God. What does disobedience mean? Parents can help me with this. If it's not full obedience, disobedience. Thank you for finishing that phrase. So sometimes Saul did some of what he was supposed to do, but not all of what he was supposed to do. But Saul disobeyed God. So as a result, God took the anointing off of Saul and put it on David, who became the next king. Now, typically, in, in kingdoms and those kinds of things, who becomes the next king is usually the oldest son of the current king. Well, David's not related to Saul, and David's, but God's anointing is what determines who is king. So he took the anointing off of Saul, put it on to David, because Saul heard what God said, but did not do all that God said. Saul had a son named Jonathan. Even though the anointing had left Saul and gone to David, his son, Jonathan, became David's best friend. They were boys. They were tight. They actually have a, had a covenant with each other, which was a little bit even more than just friends. But they had a covenant, a very strong, close relationship between Saul's son and David, the next person to be king. Now, because anointing had left Saul and gone on to David, it caused a little bit of turmoil in Saul's household because Saul was still around. But in this process of Saul having lost the anointing and the anointing going to David, but David was not yet made king, the Philistines, an enemy of God's people, attack. Isn't that always true? The enemy attacks when he senses weakness. The enemy attacks when he senses a loss of anointing. And in this attack, Saul and Jonathan are killed. Okay? Tragedy. Now, this is where we're going to pick up with this guy named Mephibosheth. 2 Samuel chapter 4, but I want to set the scene so you kind of understand who this guy is. You can see that there if you can look past my 6'8 tallness. Jonathan, son of Saul, had a son who was lame in both feet. This is Mephibosheth. He was five years old when the news about Saul and Jonathan came from Jezreel. 
His nurse picked him up and fled, but as she turned to leave, he fell and became disabled, and his name was Mephibosheth. Fast forward to chapter 9. So we see Mephibosheth's story. He finds out his dad and his grandfather are killed. He went from a place of of living in a palace in luxury to fleeing, and to, to make it even worse, at five years old, he gets dropped and breaks both his legs, and he's lame in both feet. But now David becomes king, and we pick this up in 2 Samuel chapter 9, in verse 1. David asked, Is there anyone still left of the house of Saul to whom I can show kindness for Jonathan's sake? David remembered the covenant with Jonathan. Now, put yourself in Mephibosheth. See, I already messed it up. Put yourself in the place of Mephibosheth. Your father and your grandfather have just been killed. There's a new guy on the throne. What do you think that means for Mephibosheth? You see, when a new king takes the throne, what's the first thing they do? They get rid of any potential threats to the throne. That means any descendant of Saul, their life was in serious jeopardy. Because as long as the new king leaves anybody alive that had a right to try to claim the throne... It was a threat to his kingship. So you can imagine Mephibosheth living most of his life in fear that David is going to find him and he's going to kill him. That's what Mephibosheth would most likely have left with, right? But here is David saying, who's left from Saul's house, not that I can kill, but that I can show kindness to. Lord, that's the kind of leaders we need. Verse 2, now there was a servant of Saul's household named Ziba. They summoned him to appear before David, and the king said to him, Are you Ziba? At your service, he replied. The king asked, Is there no one still alive from the house of Saul to whom I can show God's kindness? Ziba answered the king, There is still a son of Jonathan. He's lame in both feet. Ha! Where is he? The king asked. Ziba answered, He's at the house of Machir, son of Amiel, in Lodabar. So King David had him brought from Lodabar, from the house of Machir, son of Amiel, and when Mephibosheth, son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, came to David, he bowed down to pay him honor. David said, Mephibosheth, at your service, he replied. Don't be afraid, David said to him, for I will surely show you kindness for the sake of your father, Jonathan. I will restore to you all the land that belonged to your grandfather, Saul, and you will always eat at my table. Mephibosheth bowed down and said, what is your servant? that you should notice a dead dog like me. Then the king summoned Ziba, Saul's steward, and said to him, I've given your master's grandson everything that belonged to Saul and his family. That's a lot. Everything that belonged to Saul and his family. You and your sons and your servants are to farm the land for him and bring him in the crops so that your master's grandson may be provided for. And Mephibosheth, grandson of your master, will always eat at my table. When Mephibosheth had to flee because Saul and Jonathan were killed, he settles in this town called Lodabar. The word Lodabar actually means nothing. Nothing. No communication, no pasture, no word. Does It kind of means all three of those things, Lodabar. At a lowest point in Mephibosheth's life, 
he settles in and settles for nothing. Crippled by his past, a very present fear, and no hope in the future. He settles in nothingness. I have nothing. I'm in a place of nothing. Therefore, I am nothing. He calls himself a dead dog. What right do I have? A dead dog like me. Why would you do this? Mephibosheth didn't choose Lodabar. He was taken there. He was taken there by this servant. A five-year-old boy whose grandfather and dad were just killed. What a critical time. Five years old. Imagine. Here you are living in the palace. Your life is pretty good. Your dad is like, I don't know if you read much about Jonathan, but Jonathan's a guy that sees like a whole uh, battalion, whatever you want to call it, of Philistines, and he grabs his armor bearer, and he's like, let's go fight all those guys. Maybe God's with us. We'll see, we'll see if he is or he isn't, but let's not sit here. Let's go fight him. And the armor bearer, sure, go for it. And they get up, and two guys defeat like this whole company of Philistines. He's just he's the man's man. He, Jonathan is the real deal. It's one of the reasons. The reason that Jonathan and David got linked so tightly is because David killed Goliath, cut off his head, and is standing before Saul, still holding the dripping head of Goliath. And it said at that moment, Jonathan was linked in heart with David. Jonathan wasn't linked in heart with David because he wrote great songs. It's because if that guy just cut off the head of a giant, I'm going to be his friend. So there's something about the two of these guys that is just we're going to cut off the head of many giants in our days. And I love that spirit. I love when men uh, who, who can worship and hear from God, but men that just want to cut off the heads of some giants that are standing in front of God's people. And you, when you see another man like that, that's willing to do whatever it takes, there's a linking. There's a, man, if you want to war in the spirit, I'm going to war in the spirit with you. By the way, we got a men's night that we forgot to talk about this Wednesday. We'll talk about it afterwards. But we're looking for some men to cut off some heads. And men who can worship and dance in their underwear, because David did that too. There will be no dancing in underwear on Wednesday nights. We'll substitute hot dogs and hamburgers for dancing in underwear. Jonathan's the real deal. Do you know what the face of a five-year-old boy is when he sees a dad like that? Dad's invincible. Right? Nothing to take dad down. And my grandfather, oh my gosh, he's the king. And then he finds out both of them are killed. And you got to leave now. And as he's rushed out, still trying to process what just happened, he breaks both of his legs and forever can't walk in his lane. I can't imagine how tragic a day like this was. And they rush him off to an unfamiliar place, probably to a place of nothing because nothing was the only thing that was going to protect him. I need to stay in a place of nothingness. I need to lay low. I need to not make any waves. I need to not ruffle any feathers, not stir up any waters cause any trouble, not draw any attention to myself, 
because the Philistines are probably going to take over. And so the best thing for me to survive this current time and state of affairs when it seems like outside forces are taking over is me to retreat to a place of nothingness because in nothingness at least I'm alive. I can't walk. My son, my, my father and my grandfather are dead, but at least I'm alive. So just stay in this place of nothingness and be quiet. That's exactly what the enemy wanted somebody like Mephibosheth to do. You better not let the king find you because when he does, he has in mind to kill you. That's all Mephibosheth would have been taught. So the most predominant thought in his head all of his life is that the one who is in charge of everything will kill me if he finds out where I am. But that's not the heart of David at all. So if you're living your whole life with this one thought, it's going to cripple you more than being dropped on your legs or is ever going to cripple you. I know that some people right now, as we talk about the state of our world, you can feel like you're in a place of nothingness. Well, I, can we just, I'm happy to stay in my house. I'm happy to, can we, once COVID goes, we'll just come out and everything. When can we get back to normal? I know that there's so much stuff that's coming out of the church. And yeah, I just hear all these rumors of ministers falling and all these things happening. And just get that all out of the way and we'll just go back to the way things were. People, it's not going back to the way things were. This is not the new normal, though. Nothingness is not the normal God's called you to. He's not called you to a place of hiding in fear that the king is going to find out where you are. I may come knock on your door and ask you if you... Anyway. Stop. 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 Hello, it's the government. We're here to help. God's not called you to a place of nothingness. So living, in li living life in fear of what's going to happen. And then he gets a knock on the door. The king wants to see you. What do you think is going through his mind? So he had to be put on a donkey, a horse, a cart, whatever it was, he has to be taken once again someplace he probably doesn't want to go. And he shows up. He's brought into the presence of the king. And trust me, he ain't looking up. Says he bows low before him. And you can imagine him just waiting for the, the sword on the back of his neck. This is it. I've been found out. I can't hide anymore. I've now been found out. This is the end of my day. And he comes into the presence of the king who all of his life thought all he wanted to do was kill him. And he hears his name. And there's conflict that stirs. He's He's waiting for the sword. And he hears his name. But he doesn't hear the voice of anger. 
He's not hearing a voice of judgment. There's something about the tone of that voice. Could it be? Is that excitement that I hear? And he gets the courage enough to maybe open his eyes. And when he looks up and he expects to see the face of the executioner, he sees a father who has longed to bless him and give him a seat at his table. He didn't even know that he existed, but now that he knows he's existed, he sees the face of a father. And he says, Mephibosheth, you're home. This was always your home. And I'm putting you from the place of nothing into the place of prominence and power and influence. You're not going to have to worry about anything. I'm going to provide for you. Not because of what you've done, but because of who I am. I'm going to provide for you, and you will always have a seat at my table. Mephibosheth, your home, your home. He sees his face. I can picture David with tears streaming down his face. Oh, not what I expected. It's time to get out of Lodabar. It's time to get out of your nothing. You can't sit on the sidelines anymore. You can't sit on the sidelines anymore. Is the world going to hell in a handbasket? Well, every generation since Jesus was here has said that. Who knows? Is Jesus coming back tomorrow? He might. I do know this. That when you seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, all of these things will be added unto you. And the kingdom advances forcefully. And the forceful take it. Actually, the violent take it by force. I'm not telling you to be violent. I'm saying that God's kingdom is advancing in the midst. Kind of in the midst of some of this turmoil. And the Bible talks about in Revelation there will be wars and rumors of wars. Some things you're hearing are true, some are half-truths, some are not true at all. And so you hear about, well, what about, have you heard about this? And you heard about that? My inbox fills up every day with, have you heard this? Have you heard that? Have you heard this? Have you heard that? And I'm like, there's one thing I want to hear. What is God saying in the midst of all of this? I'm not ignoring things. And you can have your own opinions about what's happening in our world today. It's a, and it can be very different to mine. That's okay. I promise you that. My goal here is not to get you to figure out what's right and wrong based on your research. My goal is for you to hear the voice of God in the midst of this season. Because it is a season of turmoil. It is a season of confusion. Why? Because the enemy will hijack anything for his own agenda. He will take good things and hijack them and use them for his own purpose. He will use the Word of God to twist and distort it to get you to not hear the voice of your Father. He'll put you in love so that you can means One of the interpretations of that is no word. He wants to put you in a place where I cannot hear the voice of God. 
And then have you develop affiliate theology around it that God doesn't speak anymore. He wants to get you to a place of never being healed, so you'll develop a theology that doesn't heal because I haven't experienced it. That's not the way God works. Let's bring our experience up to the level of good theology instead of changing our theology to meet the level of our experience. If you like that, Madison, you told me that last night. I stole that from him. <laughs> it's time to get out of Lodabar. He's called us out of nothing and put us at the king's table. Lodabar says, just lay low, don't make a scene, don't take a stand, obey the world, do only what is safe, but God's called you out of that place. He's not called you to nothingness. And this is what I want to share with you. God is putting His people right now in rooms where they don't belong, at tables where they're not supposed to be, in conversations they are not qualified for, and in positions of influence that they haven't earned. And he's doing it to those who will hear and obey. That's the difference. Not to the learned, not to the gifted, not to the talented. He's putting them in these places for those who will hear him and will obey him. Why did Saul lose the anointing? Because he heard, but he did not obey. God is putting people in these positions. In our church, he's putting people in these positions. <clears throat> we had one guy I met with the other day. And he was telling me about how they had a one-year-old son at the time. they got a couple of kids now. They had a one-year-old son. And his, his church experience was kind of a traditional church experience where God, you, know, you read your Bible and do what it says, but God doesn't necessarily speak directly to us as well. We'll get to that in a moment um, about how all that stuff works. And so, but he really felt this compulsion, him and his wife both, because they both had jobs, and their two jobs together equaled a certain salary that meant they could make a pretty good living, right? But they, he just, I just kept feeling compelled that my wife was supposed to quit her job so that she can raise our one-year-old son, because she had been dealing with some health challenges. And the funny thing is, the wife had the educational qualifications that could have met her trajectory for income was a lot higher than his was. And so the logical thing is, well, I'll be the stay-at-home dad, Right? But he's like, I, we really both feel like God's telling us that you're s supposed to quit your job to stay home and raise our son. And so they obeyed God, and they quit the job. She quit her job and stayed home to raise their, their one-year-old. Within two weeks, this same guy got a promotion, like out-of-the-blue promotion, that equaled their two salaries together. I love that. That's Everything you're Saul, you're, you're, that Saul, your grandfather, had is now yours. Like, you have a place at my table. You're out of nothing into everything. You're and obey God. We have another guy in our church that has, has, he's got a job that does one thing that's kind of in the, in the, in the national defense stuff, but not, 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 not like really high up or anything like that. But he keeps getting invited to sit at these tables that are developing the national defense policy of our nation. Like, we want to know what your opinion is. And he's like, what am I doing here? There's four stars in the room and me. Why am I sitting at this table? And what he's hearing is all of these kind of new age stuff that's been infiltrating our military and national defense policy. Where they're like, we need to develop synergy and all these things and I was like oh that's a new age term that's that's not a good thing 
And he's like, we need to hear what God's saying. And they're like, what are you talking about? He's like, God can speak to us. This is what we... <laughs> and I'm like, how do you end up... You ever been in a room and you're like, what in the world am I doing at this table? It's because you heard and you obeyed. You heard and you obeyed. Somebody else in our church just recently um, decided to step into the area of public policy kind of locally, and they got invited to... like. The moment they stepped into this arena, because they felt like God called them into this arena, they just got invited to a national convention to be the representative of Hampton Roads' development of public policy on a national level. I'm like, why does that happen? Because God said, step into the arena. I'm busy. I mean, I've got this and I've got that. The last thing I need to do is to put one more thing on my plate. No, the first thing you need to do is to hear, and the second thing you need to do is obey. Because maybe all the stuff on your plate wasn't stuff that I put on your plate anyway. So just brush it aside, step out of nothingness, and step into where I've called you to go. I'm telling you, when you hear God, when you obey God, there is provision for you. There is protection for you. There is identity for you. Wait a minute. Protection, identity, provision. Who are the ones that provide that? Oh, that's right. Fathers. Fathers provide. They protect they give us our identity. So when you hear and obey the Father, all of these things come to you. Seek His kingdom, and the things are added on to you. And I promise you, the crippling of your past will not define your future assignment. It will not define your future assignment. Your future is determined by your ability to hear the Father and do what He says. And as I said at the beginning, your ability to hear the Father is often based upon what you think He thinks of you. Mephibosheth thought that the king wanted to kill him, but he really wanted to bless him. And even after hearing what he wanted to do, there was still that part of him that said, but I'm a dead dog. Like even after hearing the great news, he's still trying to take it through the filter of what he always knew. Can I encourage you to let God remove filters? Stop filtering His Word through your previous experience. But I know the plan is for you not to harm you. Yeah, God, I got harmed in the past when I tried that. Stop going and taking His voice through the filter of your crippled past. Let Him speak to you afresh. God loves removing filters. He loves it. Because He wants you to hear from Him un- filtered unfiltered there was this moment in Luke chapter 11 I'll finish with this when Jesus said something amazing he was teaching this woman goes huh blessed is the woman who gave birth to you like it was this really nice sentiment and in Luke chapter 11 28 Jesus says no blessed are those who hear the word of God and obey it What's God saying now? He is, David. Thank you. What's he saying now? You know, when we discern the voice of God, it's actually kind of two things working hand in hand. It's word and it's spirit. It's word 
and its spirit. So if I want to know what God's saying, He's given us His Word, the Bible. The challenge with our prophetic culture sometimes, from our stream that we kind of flow in, is that we rely so heavily on the prophetic that we forget about the Word. I know you guys don't. I'm just saying it's a danger in prophetic streams sometimes is to go, well, God, speak to me, but never open up the Bible to say, see what he's actually saying now. The Bible isn't what God said. The Bible is what God is saying. It's living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. It's still speaking, right? So know the Word, but also be flowing in the Spirit. So the Spirit helps to illuminate the Word. It says that the Holy Spirit guides us into all truth. It means that as you read the Word, He's guiding you to the thing and then lighting it up, rhema, illuminating the Word, the living Word, the spoken Word to us now. It's not just a, let me go pray and discern what God's saying. It is that, but it's the Word and it's the Spirit. Because if you don't have the Spirit, when you read your Bible, you're going to read it as basic instructions before leaving earth. It's not a manual. It's a sword. It's living and active. I need spirit and sword, spirit and word working hand in hand. Amen. Stop letting the world dictate to your kids the way they're supposed to think and the way they're supposed to feel. We were watching something on TV the other day with my kids, and I was getting a little perturbed about it because of the way they were portraying a certain character and. They're like, oh, Dad, why are you getting upset? I said, I know you know better, but this is an attempt to condition you. This is an attempt to condition you that your heroes are gay. This is an attempt to condition you that sin is normal. And the way you be a hero is you glorify sin. Am I getting a little sensitive here? Don't let the world condition you. It doesn't mean, well, I listen to this news and not that news. Because what's going to ultimately see His kingdom come and heaven come to earth is not whether you listen to the right news channel or not. It's whether you heard Him. You want to figure out how to interpret this world? Get heaven's perspective on that. We're not meant to live in a place of nothingness, of just letting the world dictate to us how we feel, how we think, how we interact with each other. But we're also not called just to be rebellious against all of those things. Because it's not a spirit of rebellion that God's raising up in us. It's a spirit of sonship. It's a spirit of daughterhood. That in the midst of all the turmoil, we're not just trying to get through this season, but we see a revival happening in the middle of this. And the revival starts with me. Because I want a house that's built on the rock. Right? You know that story Jesus taught in Matthew chapter 7? About a house that's built on the rock and a house that's built on the sand? Kim from South America, South America, South, uh, South Africa, she's in South Africa right now, was sending Romy and I a message, a prophetic word that she got this morning. And uh, I was like, oh my gosh, that's what I'm talking about. But she said, I pictured these waves crashing on the beach. She said, they're South African waves, not, not Virginia Beach waves. 
All right, I get it. Rub it in. No surf here. But she said it's just crashing on, the, on these rocks on the shore. And some of these rocks are like, as it hits, it's made of sand. And as it hits the rocks, the sand just dissipates. But some of them are like granite. And every time it hits the rock, it just kind of, it shapes it a little bit into something beautiful. And I thought about this scripture in Matthew chapter 7. Jesus, Jesus said, you got a choice as to whether to build a house on the rock or build a house on the sand. You build it on the rock, and when the wind and the waves come, it still stands. You build it on the sand, when the wind and the waves come, the whole house falls apart. I want a house on the rock. But do you know what that means? Do you know what the point of the house on the rock is? Matthew chapter 7, verse 24. Therefore, whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them, I will liken him to a wise man who built the house on the rock. Building a house on the rock is not prayer to ask Jesus into your heart. It's the beginning. Building a house on the rock is not listening to the right news channels. Building a house on the rock is not just saying, I'm on the Jesus team. It's being able to hear him and do what he says. The wind and the waves are here. I Look, sometimes I'm like, can we, I'll take the waves, but can we not have the wind for a little while? It's here. But if I hear him and I do what he says, I'm on a rock. And it's kind of cool sitting through a storm in a house sitting on a rock. Amen. Let me pray for you. Father, we thank you for your presence that's here. I thank you, Lord, that when we hear and obey, no wind, no wave can ever take us out of your presence. God, help us to get a right view of how you see us. Remove our filters in Jesus' name. The filters of our past, our crippled past, will not define our present assignment. We refuse to let our past define us. Only you get to do that. You are our Father. You provide. You protect. You give us our identity. We come against every force that would seek to influence our kids from a worldly and a demonic viewpoint. Let our kids hear from you. Let our kids' kids hear from you. Let our parents and our grandparents and our great-grandparents hear from you, that they would hear the love song sing, sung over them. You are my son, whom I love, and whom I am well pleased. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Amen. Amen. Thank you for joining us today. For more resources like this, or to find information about our weekly services, visit seashorechurch.com. 